It is so good to be with you. It is an inexpressible privilege to bring God's word to you today. To me, this is the dearest place on earth, and uh, I feel like in the last 40 minutes we've already heard a message. The Spirit has been good to us. The Spirit has been with us. My wife Shannon and I, we're, we're raised here, and we have spent the entirety of our Christian lives here, and so many of you have had such an impact on our walk. I feel a bit like a, a, a substitute lunch lady, just shakily uh, doling out, ladling out uh, a five-star meal to VIPs, uh, but I have supreme confidence that the Lord will be faithful to feed us all by his word and his spirit through human limitations. <clears throat> um, the meal for us, uh, the meal that God has for us today is the first song. You can turn there now. The title of my message is Planted to Prosper. Planted to Prosper. At a time when we can struggle to engage with God in the midst of unrest and uncertainty, the Psalms are held out to us. A collection of human responses to the works the attributes, the promises of God in a fallen world. The first psalm sums up with poetic clarity what a believer is at his or her essence. As I read, it's worth noting that man in this text is translated uh, as one. So these promises are available to all. Let's read. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. Planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let me pray. Lord, by your spirit, show us Christ. Fill our hearts with conviction. Fill our hearts with gratitude. Speak to us, Lord. We are listening. In Jesus' name. Amen. In the financial investing world, there is no, no more tragic tale than that of a skyrocketing stock sold too soon. One man, as I researched online, showed paper receipts of his purchasing stock in Apple, buying 300 shares. 
that was in 1997. Its growth was modest that year, and uh, he decided by the end of the year to get out while he could because he thought the company was becoming overvalued. He sold them for less than a dollar than what he got, had a modest profit, pocketing a couple hundred bucks. As you might have guessed, Apple's done all right since 1997. Its stock price has quadrupled, and they consistently pay their profit back to their shareholders yearly. That man, maybe being overdramatic, maybe not, says he weeps whenever he thinks of it. That man, simply by abandoning what he had, has missed out on tens of millions, sorry, tens of thousands of dollars, maybe tens of millions, tens of thousands of dollars. The, the psalm we just read is a glorious psalm of promise, of certain prospering. And while the subject is a human, Christ is at the center. And when we're tempted to wonder if we're in the best spot, when we feel a disconnect between what we know to be true and what we feel to be happening, we must remember the truth of this psalm. And the truth is, for our own happiness and good, our souls must be rooted to where we are planted. For our own happiness and good, our souls must be rooted to where we have been planted. For we who follow Christ, if our souls put roots down deeper into where they have been placed, this psalm promises an eternal, ever-flowing, unshakable delight of the soul. There are three marks of the blessed soul that we see in this passage. And the first is this. Out of verses 1 through 2, the word is the soul's satisfaction. The word is the soul's satisfaction. What is it to be blessed? We've heard to blessed to be stressed. Bless the food. Bless the boys. Thank you, Bill. Bless this mess. Bless your heart, which is southern speak for I find you incredibly annoying. When someone has a sneezing fit, we usually ration our blessings, right? Two, maybe three if we're feeling gregarious. At four, it just becomes sarcastic. This psalm, in its literal translation, starts, how happy. How happy is the man. The blessedness in this psalm defines this person. It's not just an intellectual reality. It doesn't just speak of calm and serenity. This is a bliss of heart and soul, a tangible emotion. Happiness that does not depend upon circumstances, but instead is a distinguishing characteristic interwoven with God's sovereignty. And there's a physical nature to this. This isn't just about having the right mindset. Look at the nouns. The psalmist warns against being in the wicked's counsel, the sinner's way, the mocker's seat, the scoffer's seat. Compare that to their matching verbs. Walk, stand, sit. When you think of it, those are the three main waking states of being except for those of us who have a Peloton, whatever that is. <laughs> All of life is encompassed here. 
Also, we see an intentional, poetic organization of this cursed journey, a descent. There is a potential for one to walk in the counsel of the wicked. What does that look like? Listening to, more than that, taking in advice from those who do not follow God. Then, in a progression, standing in the way of the sinner. Now you're not only within earshot, but you are on their path, on their journey through life. Now, sitting in a seat of scoffers, at rest with those who do not love God, settled there, and actively despising and denying God. There's a warning in here for us, church. Have you engaged with the ways of thinking of this day and age? Of course you have. What are you taking in? What are you taking to heart that might be the counsel of the wicked? Things that may turn your heart away from the way of God and onto this descending path we see here. I'm not just talking about the things you already know to be wicked, but your favorite earthly counsel built on a Christless philosophy, but it resonates with you. And it gives you an appetite for more. What are we taking in through our TVs, our car stereos, computers, phones, or apps which are programmed to give us more of the thing we just clicked on or talked about? What, where are we hearing and processing advice that is not of God? And if followed, leads us away from him. There isn't a call here necessarily to permanently, permanently scrub out all uh, non-Christian content from our lives. But what we take in are videos, posts, podcasts. It's always preaching something. It's always modeling something. Entertainment quickly becomes counsel. Where is it ruling your life and factoring in to the direction of your mind, your heart, and your soul? How can we change? Let's read on. Verse 2. An immediate parallel contrast. Not in those things, but he delights in the law of the Lord. The only thing that could drown out that counsel. But who could delight in religious law? Are we sounding a nerd alert? Uh, no, the blessed man is not simply defined by staying away from bad things, but is attracted to taking in the good, the instruction of the word of God. Not just as his guiding principles, not just as his trust, not just even his satisfaction or uh, fascination, but his delight Pleasure, happiness. Think of a playpen or a sandbox that a child never grows tired of but always wants to be in. How do we delight like that? Well, as a testimony, 2020 has been a year of spiritual renewal for Shannon and I. It's one of the main things I'm grateful for this year. And it's all can, it all can be traced back to a growing exposure to his word. 
I was raised with a love for God's word, and I memorized some of it, like this psalm, the first thing I ever memorized from the Bible. But my relationship with the word was more functional. What do I need right now? His word has always come through, even in the limitations that I've placed upon it, and has stirred my heart. But morning and evening, not so much. Discipline is a battle, and routine is an abomination to my preferences. But in March through May, Shan and I read an epistle out loud to each other, trading chapters before bed or before we turned on the TV. We got to know Christ more. And our emotions were stirred and our relationship with him strengthened. Dan McKetty organized a read-through of the entire New Testament over Zoom for Passion Week. And my soul was stuffed as I went through an 18-hour day listening to Matthew and Revelation on my phone read by men and women in this church family. As racial and political unrest continued to rise, needing perspective, Shan and I moved to Ecclesiastes. And then read through it with the college community group that we lead. The community group that I attend read Psalm 46 early in this pandemic. And we've been in Romans ever since. Our men's ministry Bible study, led by Josiah Dunham, just finished going through the whole book of Genesis, where we were left freshly astounded by the mercy, the kindness, the providence of God. Part of delighting in the word, church, is digging in with others. What better marriage builder, community builder, friendship builder, church builder, faith builder, than to read the word together and have your heart stirred by the truth of God. It can only help your personal study. Pursue it. Morning and evening can seem like an impossible standard, but our mind is to meditate on his word throughout the day. The more we engage in it, the more we delight in it, the more ready it is at hand when we encounter obstacles and struggles. It helps us care for others more effectively, doesn't it? It builds our walk with Christ and our awareness of him and his work. Do you struggle most for faith when your eyes open in the morning, facing the challenges of the day? Or like me, are you filled with regret when your head hits the pillow? Or maybe your faith dips intermittently throughout the day. The only thing that can truly speak to that is the opened word of God. There you see and interact with the God who walks with you, committed to you, a help in times of trouble. Your sins forgiven, your weaknesses used for his glory as you receive fresh mercies every morning. This is how the mark of the blessed man is one of satisfaction and happiness. A taste for the things of God and a delight in the word of God as he knows he cannot get satisfaction elsewhere. Amen. Second, the sun is the soul's sustenance. The sun, S-O-N, is the soul's sustenance. Verse 3. Now we get a metaphor from nature. The blessed man is like a tree at a stream. That's nice. That's been my Gmail background for 12 years now. Let's get an accurate picture of this in our heads, shall we? Someone who helped me with this was Joseph Alexander, 
who says, he, speaking of the blessed man, is not a tree growing wild, but a tree planted in the most favorable situation, on or over streams of water. The original words properly denote canals or channels as a customary means of artificial irrigation. Hence, the single tree is said to overhang more than one because it is surrounded by them. The image presented here is that of a highly cultivated spot and implies security and care, such as could not be enjoyed in the most luxuriant of wilderness or forests. Let that inform the image in your mind. In verse 3, God is showing you, Christian, your current reality, where you are when you receive Christ. To those God the Father has called by name, he has lovingly planted your soul in this place. The image the psalmist used here wasn't that of an animal or a person who could discover the stream and settle there. No, it's a plant. No one who knows me mistakes me for a horticulturalist, but it's my humble observation that plants are not known for their mobility. I rehearsed this sentence several times in my house. Plants can't transplant themselves. Plants can't transplant themselves. This tree's advantageous location is unbeatable. This is the result of the work of a master gardener. The same one who designed a garden where all is right. And the stream, that glorious stream, this intentionally, this intentionally planned network bringing fresh, cool water fit for drinking so much more than this tree will ever need or ever be able to take in. God, the Son, Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, repeatedly described himself using the imagery of living water. The wellspring of water which satisfies which will cause our souls never to thirst again. And this is a network of streams, not even a pond or a lake, which could dry up in severe conditions, but an everlasting stream, the source of which is equally alive and eternal, and he will never run dry. What a picture of the care of God. Picking, placing, planting, watering, growing, constantly refreshing us with Christ. Why would we want to uproot and go anywhere else? Brothers and sisters, we've all handled the trials of this year differently. Each day has its unique challenges. But for all of us, I think we would all agree, this, has been, this year has brought an added temptation towards anxiety, anger, sinful judging, to fear. I ask you this. Has the steady, violent force of the wind and the steady, sweltering heat of this world, the trials of our day, shown you how unsteady your soul can be? If so, these trials are a kindness of God to you. A faithful, gentle call 
from the God who planted you and indeed sustains you. A call to put down more roots deeper into where he has planted you. Speaking of puddles, ponds, and lakes, do you have roots in the ground of your work? Your finances, your busyness, your relationships, your significant other, your physical health, your nation, your candidate, your philosophy, your feeling of usefulness, your mental well-being, your way of doing things, your traditions, even your family. Have you found that you've been trying to draw all your strength from, trying to find foremost joy and stability in these things? Has the peace you've received from them in the past been at least partially replaced with a measure of fear, anger, brokenness, pain? It is because they are not the streams of living water. The ever-flowing stream is weatherproof with no chance of ever being exhausted. How kind of God to lead us to this point. He speaks to us in this season. We must drink of Christ, taste of Christ, be refreshed by Christ, find our permanence in Christ, our identity in Christ. He, the location of our souls where we have been planted. May we refuse to look beyond to a dry and weary land where there is no water. For there is a stream, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The next line yields its fruit in its season. The yielding of fruit is an obvious outcome of being by the river. The fruit makes the tree more beautiful and draws others to come. You don't see people in the fall going to an orchard to collect sticks gleefully. Or at least we, I would hope not to see that. The fruit is what others can benefit from. This is another promise. We, those who are by the stream, bear fruit. And I love the phrase in its season. I looked into this many Trees, many of the trees that produce the fruit that we enjoy take years upon years to bear fruit and years after that for it to be useful fruit. I heard recently that when the Chinese bamboo seed is planted, it grows maybe an inch to two inches in its first year and it can't give out seeds. It's not mature yet. It's even underground perhaps. Year two, the same. Year three, the same. Year four, the same, an inch or two. And by the end of year four, there is a small chance that it has broken ground. And if you didn't know this about bamboo, wouldn't you be tempted to maybe call it quits after a few years? This one must be defective, not worth the work. But I just described to you a healthy plant, one that receives water daily. It needs water daily. It needs sunlight. It needs good soil. And a healthy plant, after four years, 
maybe has broken the ground. But in year five, after a maybe a period of five weeks, that same healthy plant grows to 90 feet. Several feet per day. And only then can it start developing seeds. Are you discouraged by a lack of fruit in your life? I see this so often. We go to the stream of water for a sip or two. We dive into the word, into community more, into prayer, the other disciplines. We try it for a little while, maybe a day, maybe a couple months. And we're left discouraged by the lack of fruit that we see. Then we have difficulty persevering in those disciplines. This is a promise, church. God will have us yield fruit in its season. That's why he calls us to wait. A fruit delay is no reason for us to become discouraged and try to put out roots elsewhere or just stop drinking. No, it is the very reason why we need to stay by the water and continue to take it in daily. In our day and age where we abandon something, if we don't see instant feedback and results, let us continue to be rooted where we are planted and trust that God will bring the fruit in its appointed time, in his appointed time. He has promised it. And then his leaf, its leaf does not wither. and all that he does, he prospers. Fruit comes in its season, but the leaves always adorn this tree, showing off beauty and health regardless of the weather. I love the similar description the prophet Jeremiah gives. Here's a brief clip. He, or the blessed man, does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Not anxious. Does not fear when the heat and inevitable natural reality comes. Why? Its roots are sent out by the stream. Its leaves do not wither, but remain green by the sustaining grace of God. Now a tricky promise, at least to our ears. What does it mean here to prosper? We must not replace the gospel of Christ with one that imports our own definition of prosperity onto the promises of God. I can say this. God does not have invincible financial, relational, medical success ahead for you, each of you in this life, if only you had more faith and gave more money. No. The Hebrew word for prosper is an agricultural term best described as pushing forth. A success of growth, a status of health, giving forth fruit, an outcome of being rooted by the stream. A guarantee that in everything you do and experience, it will be for your benefit. We heard that last week. A prospering of the soul in which everything you set your hands to has the blessing of God's good providence. And even if it's not to the benefit of your body. It is always to the benefit of your soul. Anyone can physically prosper in this life. In fact, most of those that do don't have their roots by the stream. The wicked, the sinners, the scoffers. This is a consistent complaint to God in the Psalms and in much of the poetry of Scripture. In Malachi, 
it records, you have said it is vain to serve God. What is the prophet? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, see the words here, blessed, prosper. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. What do we do with that? Instant clarity comes in the remaining verses. That brings me to the final mark. The third mark, the gospel is the soul's security. The gospel is the soul's security. The wicked are not so. It's interesting, the psalmist doesn't use a dried up tree here in this parallel to contrast with a vibrant one of the blessed man. Instead, chaff, the outer casing of a seed or a fruit, usually wheat. In the act of winnowing, the chaff becomes separated from the seed, the useful part of the plant, and is disposed of. Here, it is dispersed by the inevitable wind. Chaff from afar just seems like part of the fruit, proof of a prospering plant, but it's as transient as you can get. The wind has come. The chaff is gone. The tree is still standing. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in their way, as described in verse 1, forever. They are not rooted by the stream. The righteous, those in right standing with God, let's know that definition of righteous, those in right standing with God, not necessarily the moral, the ethical, the wise, the smart, the good of heart. No, the righteous will congregate. When the judgment, the single event comes, the righteous, the blessed will be gathered together where we will walk, stand, and sit in the blessed throng. How? For, verse 6, because the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The NIV says, watches over. The term here used is not of a distant scorekeeper of good and evil, but watching over like a father watches over a child crossing the street or riding a bike. Tender, committed, able. Or like a gardener, proudly nurturing a prize plant. With the intimacy in the word translated here as knows, there is a feeling here of the Lord lovingly seeing the righteous through on their way. The way of the wicked will perish. There are only two ways. Let there be no confusion. If you are truly blessed, happy in Christ, delighting in his word, if you are rooted to where you are planted, you are known by your Father. If you are elsewhere, your time is short. The winds of life will carry you away to the judgment. Trust in the promises of God in this psalm. Drink deeply and be satisfied by the only truly blessed one who took on flesh, perfectly walked and stood, the one who was scoffed and mocked by us who are in that seat. We sung it this morning. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out amongst the scoffers. The one who perfectly fulfilled the law. He was killed, giving himself up 
as a sacrifice for you and for me. And from his side flowed streams of blood and water. Blood to wash away every sin, every wickedness, every mockery of him that came from our lives and our lips. And water to give us new life in him, from him, for him. In the risen Christ, these blessings are ours today. Praise you, God. I'm going to close with this. When I think of the blessed man described here, I can't help but think of my father. That was Donna, by the way, Dad. Some of you knew him. He prospered well in ministry before he was a pastor in family, in faith for almost two decades here. And he bore much fruit. My parents both delighted in the word and sought to avoid the pitfalls in verse one. I, but the winds came and the heat came. Now almost a decade of consistent trial in his life. It dried up his life and ministry here, as was the will of God. In 2013, he gave up his dream job, a pastoral role on this team here, where he served honorably for 14 years. He moved his life and family across the country to more effectively care for his family, which was deeply hurting and still is in many ways to this day. Thank you for praying. Then a house fire in 2016 burned pretty much everything he owned and with it many of the tangible memories of the life we all once shared everything in his life was uprooted except except the roots that were in that stream i saw him fight not only the physical battles for faith but the mental ones the accuser grew louder in his ears, mocking. He fought the doubts about himself, the lies that this was all happening because of his sin. As a husband, as a parent, as a pastor, as an employee, I watched him be compressed, stricken, accused, opposed. I witnessed him fight for the energy, the care, for the people God still called him to care for. I saw him stripped to his foundations. I will always remember standing with him in the driveway while Shan and I were about to bring our brother Nate back to live here in Pennsylvania a week or two after the fire. The driveway of a foreclosed house he moved into right after the fire. And this house was stripped bare, almost to the beams. I listened as he, through tears, confessed that he felt exactly like that house. The Lord had taken away. But then, with a firm surety, I saw him profess that the Lord was going to rebuild him. He would be the first to say he hasn't walked or coped perfectly, but in each year, as I go out to visit and the house becomes more warm, more complete, more beautiful, welcoming inside and out, I praise God for prospering my dad. Life for him is different now. 
for sure. There are so many questions unresolved, trials continuing. Now, if you visited him at his church, you would probably find him running the lyrics. He founded the lyrics team at this church around 20 years ago. He is rooted where he was planted by God. And now his children rise up and call him blessed. If God the Father had not chosen him, that Christ died for him, the Spirit given him new life, this would not be possible. In fact, this psalm leaves me, and I pray leaves you, not with a feeling of, I have to do better, but with an abounding gratitude for unearned favor. I could not plant myself by this stream. I would not know of Christ if God did not choose me and place me where he did. I would not accept the free gift of Christ, if it were not for the Spirit opening my eyes, of the eyes of my heart to receive him and opening up his word where I could rejoice in being refreshed by the knowledge of Christ. None of us was born blessed. But those who receive the free gift of salvation given by Christ on the cross have now been placed by the river. May we never move on from where our souls were planted. May we always root ourselves where our heavenly Father, who makes no mistakes, has placed us. And may we joyfully drink deeply for the endless good of our souls. Amen.